Thank you all for being here today. It's great to be with you all to worship God. You know, a lot of people look forward to Fridays. Fridays are good, but I think we all hopefully look forward to Sundays when we can be together to worship our Lord and Savior and uh, be together. We're glad to be together today. Appreciated both Grant and Ben's prayers for enumerating so many things that we have to be thankful for. And we need to stop and be thankful for so many things that we have. You know, the devil likes to put things in front of us that we don't have, that we'd like to have, and get our focus on that so that we don't focus on the things God has given us. And I think that must be very disgusting to God, having blessed us so much, for us always to be looking at what we don't have instead of being thankful for what we have. We need to be thankful for that. I appreciate Ben and Grant for reminding us of that this morning. Well, do you know what a snare is? A snare has been, and snares have been used throughout time to catch animals. They're still used today. Snares are still in use today. I was talking with a friend at work not too long ago about a snaring operation. He has a covert, undercover, secret snaring operation. He has mouse traps set out in the house. And when he catches a mouse, he's very quiet about that, and he disposes of it very quickly so his wife is not upset that there's been a mouse in the house. He's got his snaring operation that is underway. You've probably used a snare like that in your house as well. Snares come in a variety of forms. Some use bait to lure the animal into the trap. Some don't use any bait at all, but are placed in a path that an animal will travel so that as they travel that path, they'll be caught in the snare. Some kill the prey immediately. Some snares maintain the animal alive. Whatever the form of the snare or the design of the snare, they all share, share some important features. First, they take their victim by surprise. They're disguised or just, uh, designed in such a way that the animal will walk into the snare not realizing that they're about to be trapped. They take the victim by surprise. And second, they ultimately result in the victim's demise. The scriptures use snares frequently to illustrate to us the dangers of sin that we can get caught in. The, danger, the scriptures use this idea of a snare to represent sin. For example, Proverbs 29, verse 6, chapter 29, verse, uh, verse 6. I'm sorry, that's out of line. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 6. Uh, by transgression, an evil man is snared. An evil man is snared by his transgressions or his sins. They trap him like that mouse trap traps the mouse and ultimately results in the mouse's demise. Sin does that to an evil person. It's like a snare. It traps him. Many times we're lured into sin, aren't we? And we get trapped there. And ultimately it will bring our demise. In the passage that Joseph just read for us in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. I'll tell you, there's one snare that's particularly dangerous, I'm afraid, to us all. It is concealed it is elusive, and yet it is very dangerous. And today I want to look at that, and it is the fear of men. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. When we fear men, it will be a snare to us. 
It will trap us. It will result in our demise. It is very, very dangerous. It will keep us from living the life that we need to live. Numerous people throughout the scriptures, throughout history, have fallen prey to this snare, the snare of fearing men. We can go way back in history to uh, an account uh, in Genesis chapter 26, or sorry, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, do you remember Abraham? We talked about him in our Bible class this morning. The great man of faith, Abraham. The man who is referred to as the father of the faithful, Abraham. That great man who has stood without, throughout time in history as a great man that people look up to. And he's put forward to us as someone that we need to emulate in our life. But this man, this great man, Abraham, fell prey to the fear of men. In Genesis chapter 12, beginning of verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt and dwelt there. For the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, Indeed, I know you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you they will, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I might live because of you. Why did Abraham tell his wife to lie? Why did he do that? Because he was afraid of men. The fear of men. And that we look at snare, the Proverbs say. And this morning I think it's important that we look at some ways that it can bring a snare to our lives. So that we don't fall prey to the fear of men. In what ways can we be brought into this snare of the fear of men? First, I want to tell you that we can be fearful of man's opinions. As humans, we care about what others think about us, don't we? That's just a normal thing. We worry about what other people think about us. When we're young, that may be a especially strong fear. We hear about the fear of peer pressure. The idea is that young people can be lured into doing something that's dangerous to them, just because they don't want others to think poorly of them for saying no. Young people want to be accepted by others. And that desire can cause them to be afraid that if they don't do something, that others are going to think poorly of them. And young people will do things to try and get others to think highly of them. Back when I was in college, in Cookville, there are a lot of waterfalls. And there was one particularly beautiful waterfall that we like to go to. And it was an unpublicized waterfall. You sort of had to talk to someone to find out where it was. And they've turned it into a state park now. We were there earlier this year, and they had the history of this waterfall. And they talked about the young people in college that used to come to this waterfall and, and, and hang out there and enjoy its beauty and talk about how long ago that was. And that was me. It made me feel really old. But we went to that waterfall a lot. One afternoon we went there with a group of boys. And there was one man in that, or a boy in that group, who was particularly insecure. He really was insecure about himself. And he really tried to get other people to think about highly of him. And he did some really foolish things. That afternoon, we're at that waterfall. And this young man who wanted to impress his friends... He waded out into the river at the top of that waterfall, 
right to the edge of the waterfall and sit down in the river with his feet dangling over the edge of the waterfall with the water rushing around him because he wanted everybody around to think he was cool. And we can look at that and see how silly that is. I'm afraid we don't outgrow that. Throughout our lives, we want to be accepted by others. And we're afraid that others might not accept us, and that can become a snare to us. The Proverbs writer tells us the fear of man is a, brings a snare. And many times people are ensnared because they're worried about what others will think about us. When our fear of others and what others will think about us get in the way of us doing what is right, we've been caught in this snare that we're being warned about. Jesus, in his day, had people that were guilty of this. In John chapter 12, verse 43. In John chapter 12, verse 43. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, there were people in Jesus' day who were more worried about what people thought about them than what God thought about them. They allowed the fear of what other people around them would think to get in the way of them doing what is right. They didn't confess Jesus because they were worried about what other people would think. They were face to face with the Messiah. They were face to face with Jesus himself, seeing and hearing about the miracles that were happening right then and there. And they understood that this is the Messiah. Man has to be from God. They understood that. But they wouldn't confess because they were afraid of what other people would think. Isn't that alarming? They were worried about what the guy across the street would think. They were worried about what the lady in the PTA would think. They were worried about what somebody that they didn't even know might think about them and that kept them from doing what they knew they should do. Do you see that they had been caught in the snare of the fear of men? This is a huge problem. It was such a big problem that Peter was ensnared by it. You remember Peter, the apostle who was the first to bring the gospel to the Gentiles? And we talked about it recently on Wednesday night about how he was instructed by God to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. How he saw that vision descending from heaven, the unclean animals, and God told, the, the Spirit told him to arise, kill, and eat. And he was told he needed to go to the Gentiles. He saw that when he got there and he preached to them that the Holy Spirit fell on them. Unavoidable un, uh, conclusion that God had accepted the Gentiles. Peter got that revelation firsthand. But what happened to Galatians chapter 2? We talked about this last week. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. The fear of man, it captured Peter, didn't it? He was ensnared to that. Peter knew what was right. He knew beyond a shadow of doubt what was right. But he didn't do it. And he didn't do it because he was afraid of men. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that uh, incredible how dangerous this snare is? So do you think that you could be snared as well? Do you think you could be snared by the fear of men? 
Others will think for absolutely, absolutely. Are you afraid of what others will think for, of you when you stand up for what's right? Are you worried about taking a stand because of what other people will think about you? Are you worried what other people will think about you when you don't go along with something that's wrong? When you take a stand and say, no, I won't do that, are you worried about what other people will think of you? Are you worried that somebody might whisper behind your back because you dress differently than the world? Or you use different language than the world? Or you don't do certain things that the world does? Are you worried that what they might be doing to whisper behind your back? Oh, I don't want to be that guy that they're talking about. I don't want to be the brunt of the jokes around the office because I don't do this or that with the guys after work. Are you worried? Has the fear of men caused you to be cautious about the stance that you take? Are you afraid to talk to someone about the gospel when the opportunity is presented to you? Because you're afraid of how they might think of you if you talk to them about Jesus? I get it that we don't want to look weird or strange, but I'll tell you, this fear of men is a snare, and we need to avoid it. Has this fear kept us from doing what we're supposed to do? I want to tell you, we need to have Jesus' attitude in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 40, beginning. John chapter 5, beginning of verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from God? Jesus knew where he got his honor from. And he tells us unless we get that same attitude, where I'm just concerned about the honor that God will give me, and I don't have fear about what other people will think about me, until I get to that point, Jesus says I'm not going to be what I need to be. When I am concerned about what other people think about me to the extent that it keeps me from doing what God wants me to do, I've been ensnared by this fear of men. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. Paul says you can't have it both ways. This is an either-or proposition. Either you're going to be good with men and they're going to be happy with you all the time and you're going to seek to please them or you're going to be good with God and please Him. Which one will it be? The fear of men's opinions will snare us. And this goes beyond just fearing men's opinions that they form of us. Sometimes we try to be a little more proactive about that. Sometimes we try to influence the opinions that they have of us proactively. How do we do that? How do we do that? We sometimes want to present ourselves in such a way to have others have the opinion of us that we want them to have. For example, maybe I'm worried that people won't think I'm smart. Maybe I'm worried that people will not think that I'm intelligent. And so I'll tell people how much education I have. I'll tell people about the smart decisions that I make. 
I'll tell people about other people who haven't made the smart decisions that I've made. I want to project myself as being someone who's smart or intelligent or educated. And so I proactively try to brag about myself. Or maybe I'm worried that people will not think I'm successful. Maybe I'm worried do other people think I'm a success promotion? and that, I, that I've done well. And so what do I do? I tell them about the latest promotion I got. I might even find a way to slip in a little reference to how much money I make. I might tell people about who my contacts are. Do a little name dropping so that people will think I'm successful. Maybe I'm worried that people won't think I'm spiritually minded enough. So what will I do? I'll tell them how much uh, I study the Bible. I'll tell them about how much I know. I'll tell them about how incredibly I strong, uh, strong I am. Do you see how this is a fear of men? That isn't a reactive fear where they might form an opinion of me and I don't want them to do that, but it's a proactive thing where I'm actually trying to promote myself. It leads to boasting. It leads to hypocrisy. It is a snare just like any other snare. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 27 says, It is not good to eat much honey. So to seek one's own glory is not glory. Why would one seek his own glory? Is it because I'm worried about what other people think about me? The fear of men brings a snare. The fear of man's opinion will ensnare us if we're not careful. We need to be aware of that. I want to tell you there's another fear of men that will ensnare us as well. And that is the fear of men's uh, rejection. The fear of rejection is real as well. It's a big problem in relationships, isn't it? People uh, stay in abusive relationships and allow abusive relationships to continue because they're afraid that if they stand up and if they speak up, then they'll be rejected. It's a problem in the workplace as well. The person who has an unreasonable boss, who makes unreasonable demands, that person many times won't stand up to the boss because he or she is worried that if I stand up, then I might be fired because I'm afraid of being rejected as well. It's a huge problem, and it will keep us from doing what we need to do. Many times we're afraid that if we take a stand for what is right, if we stand on scriptural principles and demand that we do what is right, then there's going to be consequences to our relationships. If I do what the scriptures teach, if I take a stand for what's right, it might make someone mad at me. It might take, make someone mad. And a dear friend of mine may not be a dear friend anymore. If I take a stand, I might lose a friend. If I take a firm stand on a scriptural principle, then that's going to be a pivot point. And there are going to be consequences for taking that firm stand. And I read the scriptures, and I see what the scriptures teach, and I realize that if I accept that, then there's going to be consequences in my relationships. I'm not sure I want to do that. Will others accept me if I stand on that principle? Jesus said that if we take a stand for what is right, that rejection is a very distinct possibility. 
And we cannot allow the fear of rejection to keep us from doing what is right. That's what he said. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 32. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now Jesus isn't telling us that we need to act obtrusively in our family relationships. We need to not be kind in our family relationships so that we can not have tension and fractions in our family. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying it's a very distinct possibility that someone as close to you even as your father or your daughter may not accept you because of what you're doing. Are you willing to do what is right, even though there may be consequences in your relationships? Jesus said that there are going to be times when you may be rejected even by your own family for doing what is right. And it happened. It happened that there were some who were worried about being rejected. And when they were faced with that, uh, that instance of, well, will I be rejected or will I be accepted? They rejected Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 42. John 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess to him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Do you see these people? They knew what was the right thing to do. But the fear of rejection kept them from doing that. When they were faced with the dilemma, do I do what is right or do I face the physical consequences of these relationships in the synagogue? Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go with, with the men. They were afraid of men. Has the fear of rejection ensnared you? Have you compromised on issues in the past because of the consequences it would be in your relationship that you might be rejected? for doing what God says you need to do? Have you delayed a decision about what was right because of the consequences? Have you kept silent when you should have spoken up because of the consequences? The fear of man's rejection is real, and it brings a snare to us spiritually. Finally, this morning, I want to tell you the fear of man's persecution will bring a snare to us as well. Sometimes it goes beyond just the opinion and maybe the sneers. Sometimes it goes beyond even the rejection. Sometimes we may even have to suffer persecution. And when the fear or uh, the reality of persecution sets in, that's when the fear becomes real, doesn't it? And the fear of persecution can ensnare us. Religion, after all, is supposed to help us in this life, not hurt us. And so when it starts to cost us our well-being, many times that's hard, and it's hard to keep the faith. And many times people will compromise in order to avoid persecution. But Jesus said not to fear this. He said, don't fear persecution. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. 
Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said, yeah, persecution's real. But we need not to fear it. We need to fear God. He'd later tell the church at Smyrna the same thing in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He said, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw you into prison. You may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus said, don't let the fear of persecution keep you from doing what is right. Peter, you remember, had been afraid of the persecution in the account that, uh, that uh, Ben referenced in the Lord's Supper this morning. He'd been fe- afraid of persecution. And he had denied Jesus three times. And part of the agony that Jesus went through was Jesus turned around and looked at Peter as he's denying him. Can you imagine how that would have felt? When you realize that one of your closest friends has denied you three times, point blank. Peter would later write in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. We can't let the fear of persecution keep us from doing what is right. We need to be resolute in our determination to live like God would have us to live, regardless of the consequences. We need to have the same attitude that the faithful before us had in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. Hebrews 11, verse 35. But even if you should suffer, or sorry, women receive their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. There were folks who were tortured for living like God would have them to live. And they didn't accept deliverance. Deliverance for someone being tortured is very easy. They break out the whips, and they're about ready to start laying the whip to your back. All you have to do is say, oh, wait a minute. I changed my mind. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't believe in God. And then the whips go away. They don't whip you for that anymore. They strap you to that thing where they're going to you know, burn you at the stake or whatever they're going to do, and they're about to light the match. You can put the match out real quick by saying, hey, 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 it was all a mistake. I really don't believe. No, they didn't accept deliverance. They weren't afraid of persecution. They could have taken the easy way out, but they didn't. They were faithful to the Lord. Have you let the fear of persecution keep you from doing the right thing? Well, if I do stand up for what's right, I might lose my job. If I do stand up for what's right, they might laugh at me. If I do stand up for what's right, they might bully me. They could torture you. Are you going to accept the deliverance or are you going to stand true to what God would have you to do. So how can we avoid the fear of persecution? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. We need to trust God. Don't fear what man can do to you. Don't fear the persecution if it should come. Do what you know is right. Be true to God. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man's opinion. What will they think about me? 
The fear of man's rejection. If I do what's right, will they accept me? The fear of persecution. If I do what's right, will they hurt me? Those fears will ensnare us. And those fears will keep us from doing what God would have us to do. It will destroy us spiritually. Instead of fearing men, we need to fear God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. Are you keeping God's commandments? Are you standing strong? Have you let the fear of men direct your life and derail what you should be doing? Consequences. What about you this morning? Are you here this morning? Are you a Christian? Have you submitted uh, to the Lord's will? Have you done what He said to do in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Here this morning, you're not a Christian. There's no better time than right now to become one. Or if you're a Christian, not living as you should and need to make correction, if we can help you, will you let us know while we stand and sing?